to Monkey Off My Backlog, the podcast where we expand our pop culture horizons by exploring movies, music, television, and books that are new to us. I'm Tessa. I'm Sam. And joining us today is our sometimes music, sometimes comic book, sometimes science fiction correspondent, Lazzie. Welcome, Lazzie. Hello. Hi, everyone. <laughs> I Okay, if you are sometimes all of those things... Mm-hmm. What are you all the time? Oh, that's an existential question that I wasn't prepared for on a Friday evening. Ah, I see. Uh, <laughs> it joining is Friday us to- the 13th. I'm ah. a little afraid of his answer anyway. Joining us today is our resident existential crisis expert, <laughs> Lasbert. Purely through experience. To- the only way out is through. Not to continue making Pratchett references after Please we've don't. already started this episode, but I feel like I need to throw a blanket over you now. Lassie. I would very much appreciate that. Let's <laughs> let's all let's all record this in the dark. But, but but we are not here today to talk about Terry Pratchett. No, we are not. You can listen to Tessa's podcast, Nanny Ogg's Book Club. Ah, I plugged it before you could. Thank you. I appreciate that. For a podcast that you don't listen to, it's very nice of you. I listen to it and it's an excellent podcast. I listen to it <laughs> more than I listen to Monkey. Should we say that? Well. <laughs> Okay. Well, also, though, when she says it's nice of me to to plug her podcast, what she means is I plug my ears while she's recording. So, yeah. Not true, actually, I don't think. No, that, well, yeah, I usually have my headphones on watching TV. Yeah, something like that. What does Terry Pratchett and 90s British girl groups have in common? What what is the common denominator between these uh, two? They were things? both important parts of my teenage years, I guess. We found it. So today, instead of talking about Terry Pratchett, we are talking about '90s British girl groups, which, as you heard, are very important to Lassie's adolescence, very important to Sam's adolescence. Question my, mark. Uh, very important to what we now know as my closeted adolescence. Ah. That's that's kind of a big deal. I would say that. You know, Lazzie has expressed some some faux agitation about being forced to come on to the podcast to discuss this topic. Yeah. Now, the important thing to take away from that is that I, I indeed am the the creator of that that uh, pressure, and and I think that I I really do, um, Lazzie. I hope you felt free to indulge in these groups. In yeah. your youth, I certainly wasn't able to. So it's it's nice to actually have these conversations now and be able to talk about them. So not into, not to jump into like the life experience of it all, but um, I mean, I guess when it's when I it's so ubiquitous uh, as it was in the UK at the time, and and we're really talking late nineties for the vast majority of of the bands that we'll probably cover on. Yeah, uh, and uh, we sort of. Because we defined it as 90s British girl groups, I've probably not covered my favorite British girl group, which is Girls Aloud, because um, they were firmly in the 2000s. And we haven't really talked about one of my other favorite bands of the late uh, 90s, which was Escop 7, which was a fantastic uh, pop band. But half boys, half girls, you know, can't be having with that, can we? <laughs> Well, it wasn't because there were seven of them. I'm trying to remember who we had more representation from. Now you're asking me to remember the lyrics to S Club Party. 
So it's Rachel, Joe, Hannah, um, and then Bradley, and then I've got four of them. Joe and Rachel were the two main... Rachel Stevens was the one who actually had some solo success afterwards, so... Right, but Joe's the one who always seems to be yes. in front. She's the tall, tall, if I recall correctly. No, okay, no, no, no. The girl with the dark hair. Oh, okay, that's someone else. Hannah was the tall, was the short blonde one. Rachel Stevens was sort of slightly more tanned, and then there was a dark head one as well. Who's um? When I hear Rachel sing, when I hear, I'm going to have to look up the es- the Escort Party lyrics now in order to determine who's who. <laughs> Uh, we we really is it Tina? Yeah, it sounds like it sounds like there would be a Tina, doesn't it? That sounds like a name. Yeah, Tina's doing her uh. dance. Wait, 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 wait. Here we go. Okay, okay. I'm gonna have to do this in an American accent because otherwise it doesn't rhyme. Uh, Tina's doing her dance. John's looking for a romance. Paul's getting down on the floor whilst Hannah's screaming out for more. Ooh ooh ooh. Want to see Bradley swing? Want to see Rachel do her thing? Then we got Joe. <laughs> She's got the flow. Get ready, everybody, because here we go. S Club. There ain't no party like an S Club party. I really admire groups at this time that were willing to write songs about themselves as groups. It feels very musical theater to me, which I think is really great. But see, I could probably, from like over a decade before that, I could probably still give you the New Kids on the Block equivalent. I did not grow up with these groups because I was a child in the (laughs) 90s and I was the child of very conservative parents so i did not grow up on 90s british girl group music however spice girls was very important to me in college me and my roommates uh had lots and lots of really good memories involved with spice girls but i was really excited when sam demanded lazy assign us this music did i actually demand yeah, i don't remember pretty much this is a stealth lazy assigns episode except for i don't think lazy meant to assign any of these things i think we just sort of were like tell us mm. what you think mm-hmm I was very excited about this because I like the Spice Girls and because I really have always wanted to go back and sort of explore more of this time period because I'm fascinated with the stuff that Mm -hmm. I missed. So I'm excited to talk about this. I have a couple of very important questions to ask before we get into the groups themselves. The first one is, what makes a group a 90s British girl group? What are the characteristics of such a group? What are we defining this as? The first thing you mentioned was like bands who were prepared to write songs about themselves. I think the reality is very few of them wrote very little of of, uh, of their output. Um, uh, Spice Girls have credits on most of their songs, but how much they actually contributed is pretty tough to tell. Most of these bands are manufactured, uh, and they came off the back of some manufactured boy bands from from earlier in the uh, in the nineties. Like so, whilst you guys had. New Kids on the Block, we had sort of Take That and then Boyzone from from Over the Water in Ireland as well. Is Take That Robbie Williams? Yes. So Take That okay. is, is gotcha. uh, Gary Barlow, Robbie, Robbie Williams, Mark Owen, Jason Orange, and another one. Again, there's always, I think there's a Howard. Sounds like there's a Howard. There's always one slightly forgettable. <laughs> if, if there's only one slightly forgettable person, you're doing quite well. Is there a difference between girl group and boy brand, except for the alliteration? So is girl group boy band? I am not sure that we are legally allowed. I think it might have been a King George the Third 
thing. I don't think we're allowed to have a boy boom or a girl boom at the same time. <laughs> I think that might, in fact, be the main difference. They have to take turns. Because, well, and it's true, because if you think about, I don't know if you can off the top of your head give a year span on take that. But I, I, in my head, I think that they really were after new kids. Like 92 to 97 sort of time. Yeah, exactly. And and so I think we are talking about a time period, as Lazzie says, the very late 90s into the 2000s, which is when they're, I mean, other than Destiny's Child, we are really talking here in America on on the girls' side, we're talking about solo artists. We're talking about Brittany and Christina and Mandy and Jessica. But on the other hand, that's when Backstreet Boys and NSYNC and all the other ones start to happen. So what I think is really interesting about this time period is, and that's why I find it so fascinating, I was very disappointed to find out in the mid-2000s that all of this was happening and I missed it. And I was <laughs> stuck with the fucking Backstreet Boys instead. You know? So, obviously, one of the qualifiers of a girl group is all girls. Yeah. So, as you said, excluding some groups that had both boys and girls in them. So, the the ones I've written are, like, they they had to have a couple of albums. There was, there was very few of these, these girl groups where they just won and done. Most of them, in order to, you know, most of them got a couple of decent-ish albums. I would say the the singles from the albums are far more successful and there's an awful lot of filler and i was wondering whether that is an interesting comparison between the uk and the us on this because and i think we touched on this perhaps on the christmas episode which is that the singles chart particularly in the 90s and and 2000s was far more important in the uk than the album chart was that's what was on top of the pops on a Thursday or a Friday night. That's what the chart rundown on every radio station was, was on a Sunday, was about what's the number one single. And so I wonder what we're with these manufactured bands, whether the manufacturing is purely focused on how do I write a killer single rather than how do we compose a coherent album? I hope in a few weeks we'll be able to talk about this year's Grammy Awards just because... I was thinking about how many of us are starting to get stuck in our musical ways. We're all about that age at this point. But the Grammys, which are, you know, <laughs> my, my favorite in the Pearl Jam documentary is Stone Gossard has a, has a Grammy on top of a toilet in the basement. He's like, oh, here that is. The they, record of the year means song. Okay. Not album. Even though that makes no sense. This goes back to something Tessa and I have talked about, not on the podcast, but about the fact that you do have artists and bands, you know, from the beginning. Well, not really from the beginning, from, you know, you talk about Pet Sounds or uh, Rubber Soul around that time period. That's when you really start to get more artists thinking about albums as, as coherent statements in a response to the idea that the singles chart was so important. But even so, while you have many bands and artists who are thinking about not just concept albums, but as you said, Lazy coherent albums, you've always had not just solo artists, not just people who had stuff written for them, but 
people who wrote their own music, bands who wrote their own music. You think about uh, a band like Foreigner, which is it has a lot of flack leveled against them about being a manufactured studio group. Not just pop. There are rock manufactured groups too. I don't like that. I think it's I think it's wrong. Uh, and and so what if it was? You know, if it wasn't. But bands like Foreigner and Journey, to some extent, uh, thinking of two really actually pretty good examples, or plenty of bad ones, like bad bands doing this, where they would get in the studio and they'd front load an album with two, maybe even three good songs. And then they'd, they'd save one good song for the beginning of side two. Otherwise, you'd <laughs> never have the impetus to turn the record over. And really, once things are on vinyl, it's really inertia because you have to get up. <laughs> you might as well just finish listening to it. So it really can be dreck. So it's actually, I, I wouldn't say it's that different. Okay. And I think maybe the only thing that we had going for us over here that might give you that impression is Seattle broke before Manchester did in the 90s. Manchester is, is too, way too precise. And I think that is something to do with the nature of the geography of the UK, which is, as we've discussed when talking about who drives where. The Seattle and the Manchester things are fake. The, the, the point is these were, you know, the Brit pop or Brit rock, however, whatever we want to call it. That movement in general was a return to me, it seems, in the this is an album. I am an artist yeah. who has made a statement. No, no, you got super high and turned everything up to 11. <laughs> Some right? of the best music comes out that way, though. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, do you know what I mean? Do you know what I mean? Bad Out of Hell 2 came out in like the early 90s, so I don't know what we're talking about. You are completely right. <laughs> I do want to ask, because we're using this term manufactured a lot, um, there is sort of a stigma around yeah. this idea. And Sam and I have talked, we had an episode a while back where I talked about the Monkees as a band and how they were really one of the first like manufactured bands in this way. And the way that they were marketed, I mean, they are really sort of the first boy band, if we want to talk about it that way. But the way they were marketed wasn't just like their music. It was their television show. It was who they were. You know, they all had like their own personalities. You know, Pete was the dumb one and Davey was the hot one. And, you know, like Mickey was the goofy one. And so, you know, it was it was kind of the beginning of those types of bands. And they got a lot of again, flack for not writing their own music, although they actually did write a lot of their own music. But like there, there's a lot of stigma, I think, against manufactured, especially pop. And it's interesting considering the fact that these bands are so popular. Like the girl groups and boy bands are probably one of the biggest like chunks of music marketing mm -hmm. you know even today you know um black pink for an example or bts these are korean groups obviously but like the idea that like so many people will spend so much money on these groups why do you all think there is this stigma against manufactured groups and why do you think that they continue to be so popular despite the stigma i think it's snobbishness I think it's I think you're absolutely right that it is attached to pop bands. I think that pop singers and non-pop bands 
don't have the same level of investigation into them in terms of the number of number of their songs that they don't didn't necessarily write themselves as well there's an awful lot of of individual singers particularly pop singers but there's an awful lot of individual bands as well who who write who don't write or or who who perform things or perhaps one of them writes everything and the rest of them play it i think that a lot of the girl and boy bands have a tendency to start off with a cover and i think they sort of set themselves off on the on the back foot a little bit there so you when you start with a cover and not all of them do but a lot of them have a cover on their first album or one or two covers on their first album you're sort of already saying like this is a performance this is not a i don't know not, not a not an album not a musical thing do you think it's the theatricality of it then in that way yeah there's also the synchronized dancing there's a lot more synchronized dancing for boy bands and girl groups than there is for i don't know oasis or blur or muse and and god god heaven forbid someone could both dance and sing and write music at the same time oh no so i wonder if the association with the performance is diminished compared to the idea of the the creativity of of the music of writing the music but it's weird because the people a lot of the people who do write a lot of the pop music behind the scenes just don't get the credit they don't like they get the money <laughs> they certainly get the money but they don't get uh, a lot of the credit that they perhaps should do from a wider society and i don't i have no problem with people performing you know I think it's a perfectly valid, as we discussed before, like no to auto theory applies to music as well. Before I let Sam talk, which I want Sam to say something on this, is I often I have think... nothing to say. Oh, well, surprisingly. I have a question. That no, I have you. a lot to say. That was a joke. <laughs> I do want to question that stigma against people not writing their own music because it's like, how? why does that matter? Like if, if it's good and like they're performing it, like, you know what I mean? Like there's this sort of weird obsession with authenticity in quotes around music. Like, are you feeling personally betrayed that they didn't write this? Like, I don't, you know, it's a bit of tall poppy syndrome as well. Right. So like, we'll just try and cut people down, find any reason to cut people down. Sam, you have opinions on this. Wise men say only fools make fun of people who listen to pop music and <laughs> record it and write it. But I can't help so, myself. So yeah, let's let's start with the kernel. So, okay, there there's there's a couple of of threads here. So, we've all had a reintroduction to Colonel Parker. You can think back on the history of pop music and you know, whether it's Colonel Parker or whether it's Maurice Starr or how the guy from Orlando, Perlman, uh, responsible for some of the late 90s boy bands, could talk about Simon, uh, uh, the, the company that put together Blackpink in South Korea. Don Kirshner put together the Monkees. I would also, by the way, uh, perhaps the best example is Barry Gordy, who worked on one of the auto lines in Detroit. And when he started Motown, he said, I can run a record label like an assembly line. Every single Motown 
success is a manufactured pop group. So first of all, there's very much in, in this country, there's very much a racial component as well. And I'm not going to sit here and tell you that part of the reason we look down on pop isn't because of the racial element. Barry Gordy was the best person at it. And yet, when we talk about manufactured pop groups, I talked about a bunch of white people first. I mean, so that's, that's one thing to point out. I would also point out that point, show me a group that isn't manufactured. The Carter sisters, the Carter family, uh, June Carter, with, with her mom and her sisters. Yeah, I know they're an actual family. Great, good. You don't think they played that up on purpose to get to get famous? What's different between you know the Carter family and the Partridge family other than one's a real family and one's not? What difference does it make? Yeah, and that's another thing to think about. And then finally, to, to bring back Oasis up again. <laughs> I mean, basically, as I understand it, Noel and Liam's mom basically hassled Noel into taking Liam into the group. And then they got a bunch of guys Noel didn't care about firing at a minute's instance if he wanted to. And yet somehow that is some claim to authenticity. And it is auteurship at the end of the day. It's we got together organically. Okay, cool. You know, right? I mean, the Beatles are manufactured because Mr. Epstein said Pete Best needs to get the fuck out and hire somebody with talent. Well, the Sex Pistols are a very famous manufactured band. Exactly. I mean, so like this conversation at the end of the day, there's several reasons to look at it and go, okay, this is a very genuine thing to think about and talk about because it's really formed. You know, we're getting close to a century of this stuff, but at the same time, it's all fake. All of it. All of it. And and by the way, I think auteurship's a lot easier to talk about in music because Brian Wilson put his damn piano in a sandbox and then burned the studio down because he got so upset that the Beatles outdid him, okay? That's auteurship, yeah. okay? The fact that you will lock everybody else out, record the thing your damn self, and burn it down when it doesn't work? I'd like to see Kubrick do that. With the, with the exception that the distribution of music still required at the time someone printing the vinyl someone sending it to the shop someone working in the shops and like so i agree but i'm just not going to allow any like positive talk of authorship if i can avoid it i think that what we're kind of dancing around and getting at is that a lot of these groups are unfairly i think stigmatized because of this supposed lack of authenticity and you could point to race about that. You can point to gender about that when it comes to girl groups or even gender when it comes to fans of boy bands as well, because there is sort of this gendered component of, oh, you like One Direction? Like, you know, you're probably a girl and, you know, you probably want to be with this boy, which brings me to another interesting point that I'll talk about later. But I think what we're sort of dancing around is this idea that like these groups sort of start to show the seams more of the difference between musicing and marketing. And that's what makes them beautiful. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But we're talking about British girl groups, not just groups in general. So, Lazi, tell us some more about specifically what makes a British girl group. Well, so the the thing that 
that come from that and the showing the seams of the artificiality is the infighting, the splitting up, is the number of uh, lineup changes that a lot of them have, is the people who are there for one album and then leave, or the people who, or the bands who just completely fall out after two albums over what becomes ridiculously petty things because they're constantly being set up on a pedestal and, and pushed in a way that this sort of infighting occurs. There's a great uh, Simon Amstel joke which is uh, which when talking about the sugar babes where he says my sister decided she's going to be in the sugar babes for her gap year so <laughs> that's the frequency <laughs> with which the lineup changed so i do think that 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 sort of goes to that authenticity part which is that if you're if you're a band of three people and then three years later two albums later you're a band of three people but only one of them is the same is that the same band or is it a construct a concept a part of the part of the uh, of the assembly line right but this question always comes up even with other bands that are not pop bands like we saw you don't call them queen you refuse to call them queen because freddie mercury is dead but we saw all of the surviving members of Queen. Right. No, plus we Adam didn't Lambert. because Roger Taylor doesn't oh, tour right. anymore. Yeah. We saw half of Queen. But they still tour under Queen. They do. And Adam Lambert. So, you know, it, it is interesting that you like, it's interesting that this is always leveled at these groups and not, you know, perhaps other groups I, that are doing the same thing. In this, some is, ways. Th- uh, this is a very incorrect opinion, by the way. But I said for years that if you lose somebody in the band who's not from the rhythm section, your band's over. I will no longer say that when taught because of the Foo Fighters. Right, yeah. Because the second most important person in that band was the drummer. Right. So, I, I don't know, though. But, I mean, like, come on, man. Yeah. No, I understand. I mean, if Brian May wants to call him Queen, he can. But I think we all know somebody very important is missing. But, you know, I mean, that's what happens. You know, that's the other old question, which is, you know... Freddie Mercury locked his keys in the in the car and it took them half an hour to get Roger Taylor and Brian May out. Right? No, wait, Roger, it wasn't Roger Taylor. Roger Taylor was, was John there. Deacon. Was John Deacon. Yeah. Sorry. So there are two other things that I wanted to bring up before we start digging into the bands. Uh, one was something I mentioned earlier, which I think it's interesting to compare U.S. obsession with ba- boy bands in the 90s because it was around this time that there was these huge obsessions with like uh, Backstreet Boys and NSYNC and you know all of these groups. I don't remember a lot of girl groups being very popular in the U.S. around this time. Either they had been popular earlier or they were going to be popular later. It was kind of just like the supremacy of the boy it was, band. It was Spice Girls and Destiny's Child. Yeah, and it was like people, a lot of the girl groups were British we're girl both groups very good. That, that, they were, that we were listening to. And I was talking to Sam about this, and I think it there is a comparison to be made between the U.S. obsession with boy bands in the 90s and the British girl groups because the way that the boy bands were marketed, it was very much this like heterosexual attraction, right? Like they were marketed to women, girls, teen girls, you know, like which one do you want to be with and which one's the cutest and, you know, like all of this type of thing. Whereas from my understanding, based on the very limited experience that I've had, the marketing of a lot of the girl groups, especially Spice Girls, was very much identification. Like which one do you identify with? Mm-hmm. Like which one is your Spice Girl? Still marketed to teen girls for the most part, but there is this sense of one is more attraction, the other one is more identification. 
Yeah, no, I think that's completely right in terms of the marketing. I mean, I would say that, you know, as we mentioned earlier, you know, you didn't have the Spice Girls until you'd already had Take That and Boyzone. They were they were there first and they're probably closer to New Kids on the Block. And I don't know that we ever really had massive boy bands after them at the same level that, that you had well, we we had five, I guess. We're kind of more like a Backstreet Boys type of thing. Five have toured with Queen, actually, doing some stuff together. Uh, but then you had a probably a really big break until you had the next really big successful boy band with One Direction. And that's, you know, we're talking a decade, decade and a half there. Um, I, think the, I, I think the really interesting point is there is two girl bands that, that um, stand out for me as preceding Spice Girls, preceding Destiny's Child. One is American and one is British. And they are En Vogue and Eternal. So I mentioned Eternal, uh, I think, in the notes. We might we might get, get to them later. But they they are they are much more R&B. They're, they're not as poppy. And so they didn't have the same mainstream push uh, marketing. The Eternal in the UK were, I think, three... Uh, black girls and 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 one one white girl who married a footballer, <laughs> which is another thing that a lot of the girlfriends did. So many marrying footballers. Yeah, it's a lot of that, a lot of that going on. But um, but then again, that was I think I've mentioned this in a previous episode. Like, as well as the Brit pop stuff you had, as well as these pop big pop bands you had, you had the British Premier League becoming much 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 more successful because it got a load of money investment in it in the early nineties. It got away from the sort of hooligan brandings that they had in the eighties and before, and so and you then had like Labour coming to power in ninety seven as well. So you had a lot of these things tied up culturally with each other in terms of football, pop music, indie music, and politics, sort of all sort of slightly weirdly intertwining. Sam, you want to talk about Destiny's Child, which is, I think, probably the biggest American girl group of all time, wouldn't you say? Well, I I think we established it was. Yeah. I I think that is factually accurate. When you think about, basically, if you're out there, think about... The example of a white boy group prior to New Kids on the Block. What's the first one that comes to mind? Stop the podcast half an hour when you come back and couldn't think of anybody. You'll see where I am right now. I mean, the Beatles, but sure. Yeah, but they, well, first of all, they were British. Second of all, they played their oh, own okay. instruments, which is the real dividing line. That That's a big one right there, right? I mean, even even Joseph Jackson in between beating his children, realized that his kids would be more successful and taken more seriously, at least if one of them had a guitar strapped to him. That's that's always been a, a claim to legitimacy, and that comes back to the dancing, right? Mm-hmm. Which, by the way, the Jackson 5 could play instruments and dance at the same time, so... Right? Yeah. Which was the point, yeah. you know, of the thing. But, you know, that's always been a very uneasy... We've always had a very uneasy relationship between white music and black music, which, considering the fact that it's all black music, is probably where the unease comes from. You know, the interesting thing that Lazi points out is, yeah, of course, En Vogue is, uh, in many ways, a, a, a forerunner of Destiny's Child. But what's really 
I think there are a couple things going on at this at this time period that are fairly interesting. Is I would never come up with Invoke in the context of Destiny's Child, which is clearly wrong, and you're clearly right, Lazik. But if we had done word association... Just keep repeating that and we're, we're all fine. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> if we had not been specifically talking about pop groups and you said, and we were doing word association, and you said in vogue, I would have said salt and pepper. Yeah. Right? I would have leaned in that. And that's one of the other big things about the girl groups and the boy bands is a very explicit connection to pop. Isn't that an NSYNC album title? Pop? Pop. Wasn't that a, a whole thing they did? I thought you were saying it was the album was an explicit no. connection to pop, no, which no. would be a great that's album a, title. Uh, that sounds, <laughs> I'm pretty sure, Lazi, that might have been an In Spiral Carpets album name. Actually. <laughs> <laughs> I was just the one other band who just popped into my head, and I'm not actually sure. But with four non-blondes, were they all... That was all female as well, wasn't it? In its core. Uh, were they? I can't remember. You know, she produced for Christina Aguilera later, I think. It's always a really funny thing to me. Linda Perry, is that her name? Anyway, the point is, when I think of Destiny's Child, I think of the Dixie Chicks. It was no no accident. That I, I wanted to that we were listening to them this morning because that's the association. Well, they have a song together too. But here's the thing. There used to be four members of Destiny's Child, and by the time they got famous, there were three. And they weren't the same. It wasn't just minus one, right? That's the same same is true of the Dixie Chicks. So even in so you take a a country music act that is not a pop group, that is not a girl group, because they play their own instruments. They had the same kinds of lineup changes that Destiny's Child had. But, ooh, it's controversial when the girl group does it. It's, it's funny how all these things start to coalesce and you really start to see how many different ways pop groups are looked down upon. Again, as I said before, between your, uh, your solo pop groups of the late 90s and the abomination that is new metal rap <laughs> shit. That was mean. I'm sorry, but I'm not. No, no. no. Uh, Destiny's Child was the only one to really break through as a as a pop group, and and that's why it's. I think it's fascinating that in in England that there's so much. I mean, the rest of the world actually, there is so much good pop music happening. And we never hear it because we're so insular, except for Destiny's Child. Thank God for Destiny's Child. One of the reasons you brought up Destiny's Child in oh, our I conversation didn't the earlier I'm sorry. Yeah, <laughs> was because you actually think Whoops. Destiny's Child has a direct impact on a lot of these groups. Well, it, again, it goes back to largely back to Motown, right? And what I actually wrote in the notes and the actual answer to this question is yes. Well, don't scroll past it. I'm going to read it. <laughs> yes. British girl groups ate our American lunch when it came to girl pop from the late 90s and early 2000s. But the R&B girl groups were the ones who made the lunch in the first place. And that is a direct reflection back on Motown in large part. I just think that's really interesting because that was my original question. The reason this came up is because I asked, why weren't there more girl groups in the U.S.? And you were like... Because we hate joy. No, that's not what you said, although that could be a legitimate answer, too. It's still true. 
But like at this time, you were pointing out that the way that we listened to R&B was very different than the way that yes. the British music seemed, seemed to interact with R&B. And right. so like the things are connected, but they're not culturally happening at well, the same time. Well, you know, time. I haven't done a deep dive on the British pop, obviously, since I asked you about it last time. I have never done a deep dive on the British pop charts historically. I have, however, done the same thing in America. And for as racist as this country is, damn, we like our music that comes from R&B. If you look at the history of number ones in this country, you will quickly become uncomfortable with the idea that so much black music has been appropriated, which we were talking about with the Sopranos episode the other day. Because that comes up in the Sopranos. Right. Yeah. So... Yeah, it's it's interesting. I don't really know what the top of the pop trends are in in Britain as much as I do here. I have guesses, but not enough to know. Yeah, and and I don't know how much that is linked to sort of ethnic diversity of of each nation, right? So I don't know. I mean, I don't know what po- what percentage of the U.S. population is is black or is um. I don't know, is it mm-hmm. 15, 20% or something like that? Ish, 15 ish. Yeah. So it's. We four... had a huge undercount on the last census, so we don't really know. <laughs> it's okay. So it's 4% in the UK. You know, it, it's, 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 a much, it's a much lower proportion. It's more in London, it's more like 11, 11 12%. But it, it is a lower pro- uh, uh, proportion, and, and so it just doesn't get as much visibility, I would say, uh, or just naturally. And we don't have the same British groups, like uh, in terms of, of of black people in in Britain. They're not they're not te- they don't tend to be grouped up as much. They tend to be much more tied to which country they specifically came from, rather than having their country of origin fully erased. So, not to get into a much darker place than than most of the pop chat. Well, I mean, I think that's part of it is that it once you start interrogating where pop and R&B come from, you immediately start getting into like the yeah. darker underbelly. Like for something that is so joyful, it does come from like a very and, dark place. And I trust we'll get to the joy here in a minute. Yes. But, you know, uh, for for a country that is allegedly as diverse as ours is, I mean, you have to be really on the edge into niche territory to know anything about reggaeton or or to know what the name daddy yankee signifies those things mean huge that they they are very significant to large parts of the world we have finally in the year of our lord 2022 so last year i think was really then the year that bad bunny broke through yes <laughs> in consciousness here and yet how many people's first language is spanish in this country so in some ways we have the numbers you know, of of compared, but but it's just we're so insular in so many ways. I I had never heard of Bad Bunny. That I still have never heard of Bad Bunny, other than someone said, "Oh, Sony have signed him for like a million pound picture deal to make some random, never heard of Spider Man character movie." And I was like, "Who? What? <laughs> how? Why?" Now that we've gotten to every other artist besides the artist <laughs> we're going to talk about. <laughs> 
let's talk about some of these 90s girl groups that I didn't mention Olivia Newton-John once I know by you the way. didn't. So, let's start with probably probably the most recognizable at least in the US, I don't know about about the UK, but who are the Spice Girls and what sets them apart in the British girl group scene in the 90s? Tell us the story from A to Z. <laughs> <laughs> you want to get with me, you got to listen carefully. <laughs> Yeah, so Spice Girls was definitely the largest um, ever British girl band. There's no, there's no de- denying that. They did two albums as a fivesome. I think one album as a foursome. They may have done subsequent comeback tour music, but not interested. <laughs> I'll be honest. They were absolutely the biggest deal. Everyone knew who they were. They were. Uh, incredible number of number one sing- singles from um, from the things they produced. They got a movie with Meatloaf, second Meatloaf reference this podcast. Maybe not the last, <laughs> who knows? I feel like you and Sam are Meatloaf soulmates. Like, <laughs> I have never met anyone who is into as into Meatloaf as the two of you. <laughs> you know, is it Meatloaf or is it Jim Steinman at the end of the day? And the fact that Meatloaf really signifies Jim Steinman, because once once again, we could have had a Phantom of the Opera with a, with the words by Jim Steinman. <laughs> we could have had a vampire musical who's who I mean like fuck Les Mis, Total Eclipse of the Heart could have been the key (laughs) show tune of all time. Like holding out for a hero as well. Like all of these Steinman things are are, uh, fantastic. Anyway, another, another two, three artists there who aren't the Spice Girls um, for us to talk about. So wanna be, I I just can't remember. I I remember I was in sixth form um, at the time when wanna be came out. And and what's that? For us. Yeah, sorry. So, so, <laughs> so sick form <laughs> is the last two years of school before you go to university. So 17, 16, 17, 18, basically. Imagine you're in Harry Potter. It's, um, which we don't talk about, but it's... No! <laughs> <laughs> okay, imagine you're in Mallory Towers, which is what Harry Potter actually is. They... <laughs> It's the last two years, last two books of, of Mallory Towers. Does that make it feel better? Did you catch on an episode earlier? I did refer to you as our as our British school story expert. <laughs> is Boy, that just I nailed because, that. Yeah, is that just because I'm your only British friend? Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm happy to be a polyglot when it comes to <laughs> come to convincing you that I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I mean, we're Americans. We're never going to convince anybody of anything. So. <laughs> At least you've got something. What were we talking about? Spice Girls. Um, so, wannabe. yes. Wannabe. I mean, Wannabe was huge. For a song that makes no sense whatsoever, with some made-up <laughs> words in it, with a random bunch of white girls who don't really sing and one black girl who raps. It, it's a very interesting mix you mentioned earlier when we were talking about s club about you know there's always one or two of them at the front and really the two at the front are mel brown mel b scary spice and jerry halliwell ginger spice with mel c a little bit slightly 
occasionally involved in things. And then you've kind of got Emma Bunton to be cute and young, and you've got Victoria Beckham to, or sorry, not Victoria Beckham, Victoria Adams, as as was. Uh, she's been Victoria Beckham for so long that it's, yeah, it's true. Who does literally nothing? In... She just is pretty. I'm in the background. offended by that, but okay. <laughs> I actually like that solo album. I I remember hearing it for the first time and saying like, why was I not able to, why was this so damn hard to find? Which, you know, hearing you talk, it's your fault. Yeah, no, it's fine. You can blame me for that. It's not a problem. I sabotaged uh, Victoria. I think think it's a solid album. It's why no one's ever heard of her uh, since then. And despite all of the things you just mentioned, Wannabe is like, one of my favorite songs like i don't understand how it's one of my favorite songs but it is so good is that so, going on the karaoke list it should go on the karaoke that is list that is a question not just for you that's a question for people listening because i believe it's a group sing-along so yeah and also one of the most memorable scenes of one tree hill involves the song wannabe <laughs> so. it's very much an introduction song though it's the you know it's the roll call I mean, that's why the music video is that like faux one shot of them. And you're like, okay, she does this and she does this and she's the cute one. And she's the one who thinks she's better than everyone else. She's the ginger. <laughs> You've got M in the place who likes it in your face. And then it goes weird after that. <laughs> I like scary spices was as for me. Ah, you'll see like, okay. All right. Uh-huh. Also, we? despite it, like, not making any sense as a song it is very like suggestive of a lot without actually like saying anything i i will say though the the you'll see thing always reminded me of uh boys to men's first video they had a little crawl a little crawl at the end bottom of the screen that was like i if i remember correctly it says the name of their first album which is like a cool Cool town harmony something coming soon and nobody knew what that meant so it was like you'll see and i was like oh we do that that's a tradition <laughs> but that's the level of thought i used to put into pop music so i guess <laughs> that's what's wrong with me yes that's what's wrong with you that's it, <laughs> it don't, it's listen, a very... don't listen to pop music kids it warps your mind yeah. it really does it really does not in the way they say but it does it's a very strange song. Like, it is not like any of the other songs that we are going to talk about in the subsequent two, three hours that we're going to talk about. Well, that's why I like Say You'll Be There so much more. The Which video is, is a that... much better video, too, because it's actually a composition. I don't know that I like it more. I think Wannabe is so iconic. I think you're right. Like, the the, the, the implied single shot, the um, the introduction, the brashness... The, there's a sort of Ladette culture that mm-hmm. that was a, that was sort of going around in Britain at the time, and I I, I think it's an incredible debut. Like it really st- stamps itself on the map. It says this is who we are. You know, we're very British. We're very loud. We're very obnoxious, yeah. and we're women, and that's who we are. Like it or not, and and it's about like friendship. It. We're not sure what about friendship, but it's about friendship. And girl power. And girl power, yes. girl power. (laughs) I'll tell you something, though. Like, everything you just said was true, as usual. (laughs) I got to tell you, though. Like, one of my unified theories of pop music is that the second single 
is never seen as good, but it's almost always better. That's just a personal opinion. Is that why you like mm-hmm. say you'll be there? So, so Lazi, do you know who performed the song To the Moon and Back? Um, Shakespeare's sister? Nope. <laughs> I mean, they might have a song like that, but it, it, it was it their second single? Who performed the single, the song To the Moon and Back, Sam? Okay, the same group, the same duo whose first song was I, first single was I Want You, and third single was Truly Madly Deeply. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. Okay. That's my point. To the Moon and Back is the best I could of the hear three songs. It. I could Hands hear it down. in my head. I could hear it in my head. Yeah. But that's, that's the thing, right? Like, uh, Wannabe and To Become One, which you left off the notes. I did. I don't know why I did that. But those are both more well-known songs than Say You'll Be There. Yeah. Which is weird to me because it's the best one. Posh gets down at the end. <laughs> it's, uh, I don't know. I just like it. I will say about the music video, though, you know, there's a, there's a big, again, the, the video for Wannabe is all about how it's supposed to be like a impromptu, like one shot. It's not. Uh, there are a couple of breaks. Thanks, pop-up videos. you know it's supposed to establish things but say you'll be there like i posted a gif from it on the discord and like the gif is not pieced together it is like a series from the video and all five of them are in close-up within the space of a small gif like somebody really thought about how to put that video together which is literally the opposite of the vibe you're supposed to get from the first one i just it's really like Wannabe punches you in the face, and it's like, now that I have your attention, let me say what I want to say. And by the way, have protected sex, kids. That is pretty (laughs) much the story of the first three singles. I have also not spent a lot of time thinking about this. (laughs) Yeah, you just just make me think that that these are very well-composed music videos, uh, which is part of the brand. That's not even a thing we do anymore. Well, of course, who who did the incredible music videos for Meatloaf's Bat Out of Hell 2 album? Oh, my God. Oh. Do you know who made the music videos for Meatloaf's Bat Out of Hell 2 album? I don't. I don't. I feel like I should. Michael Bay. Oh, that's right. That is right. Yes. Did he also do the one for It's All Coming Back to Me? He did three from that album. So he did. No, 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 that's uh, oh, no, from no, the no, Celine no, Dion no, sorry, that's from It's on Bad Out of Hell 3. But he did uh, I Would Do Anything for Love, Rock and Roll Dreams, and Objects in the Rearview Mirror, right? If you're telling me you did three, that was the three. Yeah, those are the three. Objects in the Rearview Mirror is great, by the way. And a good video. Well. I think I Although they cut out part of it. Like... They cut out a huge part of it for the single. They cut out huge parts of the every middle part, right? song for, for a song. Well. I was about to say, uh, I Would Do Anything for Love is probably the most melodramatic and longest music video I have ever seen. That's so good, though. <laughs> like, there's a whole story. Like, what is that cop's backstory? Can I'm interested. It has nothing to do with the song. <laughs> but, like, we've got a weird... And, 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 and I'll tell you the other thing about that music video is, is Linda Hamilton did a TV series, Beauty and the Beast, with, uh, she finds this dude named Vincent in like the sewer, if I remember correctly. But it's Beauty and the Beast, right? I would do anything for love, but I won't do that. The music video is a ripoff of that version of Beauty and the Beast. Final answer, 100%. I believe you. 
even more importantly, the beast who is Meatloaf in that arrives there on a motorbike that he drove out of the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Yeah, he did. <laughs> All right, fi- final thoughts on Spice? <laughs> Wait, Spice. Album what? That we've been talking about? <laughs> oh no. <laughs> No, can I can I t- can I tell can I tell my you want to hear it you want to hear it? Yeah. Okay, Lazi, you'll like this. Maybe I don't know. So, do you remember chat rooms from like '97? Very much remember chat rooms. From you those. remember that? So I met a girl. I assume you mean this was on Star Trek .net, which is the only. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was like it was like one of the bigger, just like actual, just chat sites. Like I wish I could remember. But it was like a it was like a URL. It wasn't like AOLs or uh, whatever Copy internet shows. provider or whatever. So I met this girl named Kira. Her screen name started with Time Bomb. I don't remember what the numbers were after that. I mean, it's been twenty five years. But we got to talking, and uh, her and she was living in Hong Kong because her dad was doing business there. Did she have um, a black shirt, white shoes, black hat, and a Cadillac? Might have. All I uh, she had very. Very like white blonde hair that I do remember that. Those are the sum total of the details I remember. But anyway, so we talked, we talked a bit to odd people. That was the great thing about the internet in the early days. There were, you had to look, but once you found the odd people and you were an odd person, you finally had somebody to talk to. So we talked about Spice Girls because I could never talk, you know, as a. That's what we have the podcast for now. Yeah. Right. So, exactly. <laughs> but, but like, I mean, the whole point was like, as a straight dude coming out of the early to mid nineties, I could do a lot of things, but I could not listen to the Spice Girls, especially with my, my football player or former high school football player rooming college. Right. Like this is all like, I don't want to be called gay, not because I care, but you know, anyway. So Kira and I would talk about a lot of things. We talked about how much I like the Spice Girls. Homegirl mailed me her CD from Hong Kong and like scribbled in it about like, I, I, I remember part of the note she wrote. I don't have it anymore, but that is my, that is how I acquired the CD Spice. That's a nice story. I wish I still had it. I like that. I have nothing to say about Spice World. I've heard the album once and that was this week. I think it has my favorite Spice Girls song on it. I think Stop is my favorite Spice Girls song. It's not good, the album. I, I have to say the album uh, the didn't leave an impression on me like the first one did. Well, I don't think... It I, sounded I, like everybody was doing solo tracks. I don't think any of the albums are good. I'll be brutally honest. I think they have some good singles on them. The one thing I will say about... Who do you think you Spice are, Lozzy? I think I'm your expert on existential crisis. <laughs> But yeah, you got Spice Up Your Life, which was the sort of lead lead single from the album, and Stop. And I really like Stop. I think it's it's boppy, it's fun, it's uh it's a good song. But I agree, like there's an awful lot of nothing left on that album. And obviously this is the time the the album gets released pretty much at the same time as you get a uh, a movie released as well with Beatloaf, aforementioned, driving a big Union Jack bus around London. I cannot tell you what the plot of that movie was, but maybe you can chip in on that one. I haven't seen it. I really wish I could. Netflix, Saslov, Iger. I always admire bands that commit to the bit. Like the fact that their albums were Spice and Spice World and then Spice Up Your Life. Like, no notes. You're doing good work. You're doing good work. I, I, 
I like how one of them is named after an actual spice too. Yeah. By the way. <laughs> Baby. So, that's how I season my Yeah, dishes. that's that, it, oh, it's scary spice actually. What I I like what? not on vibes today. Man. Ginger spice. Yes. Uh, is spice. I understand what you're actual saying. Actual spice. Okay. That's who it. was who was your spice, girl? Well, so I thought I'd yeah, I'd like to be baby spice. I'd like to have the blonde hair. Yeah. And I thought Ginger's pretty cool. I really dig what Posh wears. Bit of an athlete, so sporty spice. So all of them? I'm not really sure why I didn't figure this out sooner. <laughs> to be perfectly honest. Who no, your... I, they were great. I... Yeah, they were great, yeah. Who is your Spice Girl, Lazzy? So I think I would have, as a teenager, I would have probably, it would have been Posh or Jerry, I think. I don't think I, whereas obviously the right answer is Mel C., who's comfortably the best. (laughs) Lazi, I just want to point out the right answer is when you're talking about the Spice Girls and you just for no discernible reason alternate between calling them by their Spice names and their actual first names. And when you're talking about more than one in a sentence, you use either one. I think that's the measure of correctness here. We are both very correct here. (laughs) Yeah, it's an inter- it's an interesting one. I think the most iconic Spice Girl, without a doubt, is Jerry in the Union Jack dress. I think that is that, and to the level that my housemate at uni's sub- sort of joke death metal band when they performed at Battle of the Bands, the lead singer songs such as Psycho Killer and uh, Teenage Masturbation Icon, talking about Buffy the Vampire Slayer. But he performed his very last show before they all left uni and split up in a Union Jack Jerry, <laughs> Jerry dress. So that dress is is probably the most famous thing, I think, about the whole band. Even more so, so than their songs. I think that dress is what outlives them. If you just showed that dress, you know who you're talking about. I mean, I know we're going to talk about the solo stuff really quickly in a minute, but I do. We all need to pour one out for the sixth Spice Girl who recently passed. Didn't they also say the Queen was a Spice Girl, too, at one point? Yeah. Or was it just Margaret Thatcher? One of the problems is they're all quite Tory. It is not ideal. <laughs> Jerry Halliwell particularly is a Tory. Mel B, there's a great clip of Mel B getting interviewed. And, be, and being asked, was Margaret Thatcher, uh, uh, did she have girl power? And her going, yeah, of course. And then the interviewer going, did she use girl power to, did she effectively leverage girl power to fund para, illegal paramilitary organizations in Northern Ireland in the 1980s? Uh, which is uh, an accurate point. <laughs> but they're, they're, I think um, I think of all of them, Melcy is the one who you, who's, cancelling concerts um because she thinks the regime is uh anti-lgbtq uh, i think jerry halliwell is married to uh the print the team principal of a formula one racing company and uh victoria beckham as you know is um has not 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 seen or heard much of her or her family recently you pointed out that one of the key features of these groups is that they 
shuffled their members and they split up. And we've talked, we've mentioned that all of these people have had sort of careers post Spice Girls. Do we want to talk about the legacy of these girls? So Jerry split up, Jerry left the, them after the second album. They did have a third album, which isn't great, I'll be honest, without her before they sort of fully ended for before for or took a very long hiatus before reforming for touring and money some decade plus later i think they've all released solo albums i think only one of them has released multiple albums and has hit number one subsequent to that and you're talking about mel c correct the successful one successful spice successful spice she had a couple of i mean Posh shows up at the end of Bend It Like Beckham. But Mel C is the one that has multiple songs featured in the film. She has the remix of I Turn to You. And uh, there's another song, I think, called Independence Day, I want to say. But I Turn to You is the big hit. The the look and feel of Kira Knightley in, in that film <laughs> seems very inspired by uh, Mel C as well. Definitely. Something else for her mom to be homophobic about. You know, though, I, I, uh, for the success of Mel C, when, when uh, Jerry left, they actually did promote the hell out of Schizophonic, which is, am, am I correct? That's the name of the album? Yeah, I think so. But they played that uh, Drama Queen video a lot. It didn't go anywhere after that, but MTV tried to push her as a solo artist hard. Well, they all did. I mean, they all got their first albums for all of them. Oh, not um, here. Just no, Jerry. Just Jerry. Okay. So I'm actually interested. What what did what happened over there? So they, they all of them have at least one album of material that, that got pushed. They, their first albums all did something, probably made them money. And then most of them either didn't bother after that or did in such a way that no one knows about it. I think, as as we said, I think Jerry was. If you had to choose one front person for the Spice Girls, it was probably Jerry. Like I think the thing about the Spice Girls is, I think they are the biggest band, but I don't think their music is really the best out of any of them. I think they, their marketing, their branding, their pre- sheer presence and personality, and force of will, I think, stead them, put them in very good stead. And it made them the biggest band, made them the most successful. So I like that. I would definitely sum up the Spice Girls as like personality. Like I think that that is a lot of not only their image, but of their music, good or bad. Like there is a lot of personality in there. And I think that's why people liked them so much. But let's move to another girl group. This is one that I had not heard as much of. Lazi, who are All Saints and what sets them apart in the British girl group scene in the 90s? So technically two of them are Canadian. Um, oh, okay. I did not know that. <laughs> the, the, the well, let's move twins. to the next segment. <laughs> <laughs> the the Appleton twins uh, are Canadians. but So these were very, this was very much set up as trying to make All Saints the blur to uh, Spice Girls Oasis, in the, in the media at least. All Saints are a much more London-based band. They're, the music is a bit more urban. Uh, if that means anything it's certainly more r&b inspired it's certainly closer to the sort of things that i think on vogue and and, and uh, eternal were doing 
they pretty much launched with a cover of under the bridge which as <laughs> which was a choice <laughs> it certainly was a choice it's not good it sounds like your speaker's going out half the time come on it's not good i do think it's interesting like it they at least did something they didn't just so most girl band covers are very bland okay and i think they did a double a side with Under the Bridge on one side and Lady Marmalade, which they did before Moulin Rouge yeah. on the other side. And I don't think either of those versions are good, but I do think they're interesting. And I do think that they were trying to do something that most girl bands don't do, which most girl bands just do a straight cover. And then maybe that's why most girl bands do straight mm-hmm. covers. <laughs> well, let me just tell you, here's what I think about their cover of Under the Bridge. I don't ever want to feel the way that I did that day. <laughs> I don't. What day? <laughs> the day I heard this cover. That was the day. The day. It was actually really funny because I was uh, playing Mass Effect with the music turned down so I could hear the playlist. And I was like, is this is this that song? Like, I was like, wait, what? So, yeah, it's... And we also, as you point out, Moulin Rouge comes slightly on the heels of this and we do get a much superior version of a a just for the song manufactured girl group. Now, this one has Maya, so it's always going to be better. But we also have a a a break, a rap during a break in in uh the it's little Kim. It took me a while to figure that to remember that out. It's 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 little Kim Pink Maya, Christina Aguilera with Missy Misdemeanor Elliot as like their uh, MC. Yeah, she's the MC of the Which is obviously song. better than what I think this there should was, be more it, like pop up girl group songs like I, that. It's, it's, like, I like the pop, it's a pop up girl group. It's like, girl a, it's like a boutique not, pop yeah. up. They're just there for the one song. Like, I, I think that's great. Like, yeah. I want Shakira to be part of one, though. I know. Yes. Speaking of people who have recently dropped diss tracks about footballers. Oh my god. Like... Oh yeah. Oh no, but I just <laughs> want her I just want her and Beyonce to do another song. Yeah. Yes, please. And Rihanna. Rihanna, yeah. Can and there just Rihanna. be the three of them in yeah. one song this Yeah, time? that is our pop up ultimate supergirl group. We don't want a fourth? I mean, that's only three. Like Megan the Stallion can MC. Oh okay. There sure, you go. sure. There's your fourth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'd I'd uh, acceptable. All right, but anyway, I'll say. So Lizzo. after these terrible covers come out, how do they make their way into mainstream British? So, so never ever, I think. So, but I think those those covers, as terrible as they are, got them airplay, got them, got them awareness, and set them apart from the Spice Girls. They were very, they had very much um, a look, a lot of cargo shorts, like a lot of crop tops and uh, and cargo shorts. Well, not cargo shorts, cargo trousers, I should say, and and then you had Never Ever, which was probably their their most successful single, which is a very sweet little song. I think it's a very pretty little pop song. And then you had I Know Where It's At, which was also a little bit more in your face, a little bit closer to a wannabe type of a song. Uh, but they were a little bit whilst whilst I would say um, Spice Girls were a little bit teehee about sex. I think the I think all Saints were a little bit more dirty about him. It, this is precedes dirty, but it's so. Uh, 
they were not, in fact, all saints. <laughs> so, in fact, as you'll find from the title of their second album, they were saints and sinners. But where they were from was from the All Saints part of London, uh, which is also um, the originator of a, a fairly successful clothing brand, if you, you may or may not be aware of. Nope. <laughs> Yeah, it was interesting because as we were like listening to these, I did notice like that shift in talking about sex from Spice Girls to All Saints. I liked your word brash when it came to Spice Girls, but I feel like this is even more brash in that sense uh, because not only are they like very frankly talking about like hooking up and like specifically about different, you know, different meetups and one night stands and stuff like that. It seems very much in line with like some of the stuff that the boy bands were doing um, at that time as well, which you don't get a lot of that in the U.S. at that time. This seems very much more in your face of, no, we're sexual beings too. And like, this is just the way we live our lives. Like there's no like shame about it or anything like that, which I find very interesting. Yeah, I, I, I think I said they were sort of set up to be blurred to Spice Girls or Oasis, but they're actually probably more like Christina to the Spice Girls Britney, I think is, is a closer analogy. And I think that whilst... I would still say the Spice Girls are brasher. I think that for me, they're they're louder, they're more in your face. I think the nature of the music that All Saints have, which is a much more R and B inspired and infused, sort of takes the the brash edge off, even if the lyrics are themselves bolder. Did you have something you wanted to say about the R and B influence? Other than it wasn't good. <laughs> You didn't like this. No, that that first album I did not like. Ah, uh, okay. Uh, and and I mean, it's like being kicked in the teeth by uh, Pure Shores. Like when you go from the end of the first album to Pure Shores, I literally said to myself, "I thought there was another All Saints album in here because this <laughs> cannot be the same group." So you liked Saints and Sinners. I mean, it's clearly a much better album. I'm not sure if we're ready to move to it yet, but I mean, it is. Pure Shores, I think, is very unlike anything else they do. I think it's it's a, it's a song for a, a movie. Okay, well, all right. So, yes. And I, and I want you, you ever, you ever read a sentence and it didn't mean anything to you? And then, like, sometime later you read it again and go, oh, that's what that means. You, you mentioned that Pure Shores is from a movie and you provide a little context. And and I, I don't know what I thought this was. I did not read this sentence and make any connection to it. But I love this movie. I love the book that it's based on. I am severely disappointed in the author of that book in that he has never done something as good as this again, including Ex Machina. Devs is Asa. quite good. I really like Devs. I, I, I think Ex Machina and Devs as a pair of... And I find the... The tourist trail exploitation of the beach, yeah. not as much fun. Well, but maybe that's a cultural thing because that doesn't have as much significance to us as it does. Like, I know what they're talking about. But the thing that got me on Alex Garland is is actually in the book, the discussion of he talks, it's it's first person. So the, the narrator is talking about that moment when you're playing video games. And he, he's talking about Super Mario. It's obvious. Where you, where you have pushed the button incorrectly and you know that you are about to fall to your death. It's not you. Right. It's the character. It's Mario. 
but you still have this very, oh shit, your stomach is dropping feeling. And when Alex Garland described that, I was like, okay, yes, that is a thing I know very, very well. And he talks about what that is, what it is to feel that and realize, oh no, it's actually my life that's like, that's just the way I, the fact that I can't describe it to you the way that he wrote it, it's such a well-written, just little vignette in the book. And I'm like, this dude, this dude is going places. And he did. He went places. I'm just not sure they were the best places. The movie was not as good. But what you've written here, Lazi, is Pure Shores is from the beach, and both of the twins hooked up with Leo, which once I really remembered and realized what that meant, I was like, oh, God. Yeah, there's a fairly famous story that when All Saints were promoting this lead single from the from the from the beach they were hanging out with leo at all uh, a lot i think they were all under 25 so i think we can all guess what some of the things that were happening i think two of them there was a time when he dated age-appropriate people (laughs) i think it's when he was that age (laughs) yeah two of them had kids and the other two canadian twins both hooked up with leonardo dicaprio in a bathroom as is classy for the times. Um, you mentioned um, that story. I think it's a really good story, but I would note that Push the Button is by Sugar Babes and Video Games is by Lana Del Rey. So you're getting a little bit confused in your <laughs> Both songs I love. So really all of three, wow, this is a, man, I think we're, we are, are we programming a radio station, Lazi? Should we have a radio station? <laughs> we should make, join a band, dude. <laughs> We should have a radio that station. is why we need Eddie Van Halen. <laughs> you know, have you seen Airheads, Lazzy? I think I've seen bits of it, but I can't, I don't remember it very well. Uh, Tessa was this week years old when she realized that Brendan Fraser and Adam Sandler were in a movie together. <laughs> is is it? I feel like uh, having never seen it, it's a cross between Wayne's World and UHF. Man, that's pretty good. I'm just saying the images remind me how hot Brendan Fraser was oh, in the 90s. Oh, no, Lazi, but... you did it. You know who's in Wayne's World, the movie? No. No. Jim Steinman's best friend. Oh, Meatloaf. Third yeah. yeah. Yay. Meatloaf comes in for a third You did it. You That's did it. Girl. I was going to do it. You did it for me. Somebody Good wins job. the prize. <laughs> so proud. So the other songs you have on here from Saints and Sinners are all hooked up. And in parentheses, best song is best. So I assume that's your favorite song on the album. All hooked up is my fa- is my favorite. It's probably my favorite song on all of the things that we're going to talk about. Oh, um, really? I, just, I, think, okay. I think it's, I just think it, it I mean, it's, it's, it is a sexy song. It is still good fun pop. It's like a, it is a much dirtier version of Stop. Like in saying like the the second <laughs> single from the second album is my favorite from each of these bands. So you established very early on in this episode that although we're not really talking much about them, that Girls Aloud is probably your favorite of the entire lot. Is All Saints number two? Yeah, I think All Saints are my certainly of 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 the nineties ones. I think All Saints the the singles and the songs they have are far more interesting far more higher quality i i'm excluding the uh the red hot chili peppers cover from this <laughs> you know we all got to start somewhere i understand why did we have to start there tessa <laughs> <laughs> excuse me so yeah i think all saints are my are my favorite of the 90s uh girl bands i think there's 
there was something I liked about their aesthetic a little bit more. That I always found them a bit cooler. Um, they were a little bit scrappier, a little bit less famous. They never quite broke through. I assume they barely broke through uh, to the states at all. I assume. And they, you know, they again they were pretty much two and done. They did two albums. Basically, all got fed up with each other. One ba- the, apparently the band ended because one of them refused to let another one wear a particular jacket at a press event, which I feel is very much the setup for what happens to Dujour in um, in Josie and the Pussycats. But <laughs> I just it's really on brand, though. I mean, you tell me that, and I'm like, well, how else would it have ended? Well, yeah, but at that point, it's not about the jacket, right? <laughs> Uh, the jacket well, symbolizes all the other fights that they've had. Oh, I don't know. Yeah. It might have actually just been about the it jacket. It's just about the jacket. Like, so I respect what you're saying, is just but a jacket. Yeah. was it a good jacket? jacket. <laughs> was it like the jacket from Desperately Seeking Susan? See that? Because I would break up it with my band. It could have been just if, about the jacket. If they there were telling go. me I couldn't wear that jacket, I agree. That jacket was dope, and I still want it. I do too. Well, you can't have it because I called dibs on it first because I saw the, the movie before you. Is this the breakup of Monkey Off My Backlog? Oh, my God. See, it could just be about it a jacket. It could just be about a jacket. I'm happy to have been here to witness history. <laughs> I just want to say we knew who All Saints were. Okay. But you did, did you Never know heard of the, what, the, the next band we're going to talk about. I'm not trying to purposely make a transition here. I'm just saying to your point earlier, Lazi, uh, All Saints did make a dent here. I would not have claimed to heard any of their music, although I've seen the beach clearly ahead, before I discovered them in um, the mid to late aughts when I discovered everybody else. But at least I had heard of the band name. Sugar Babes was a whole new thing. I had seen Love Actually and still had never heard of them. Oh, wow. You So you'd never heard these songs at all? Mm-mm. No, this is this is my favorite a British it's girl group. It's my favorite, too. The Sugar Babes are great. Yeah. I couldn't tell you which ones are better than others because I don't know and I don't care, Lazzy. <laughs> I'm not invested in that. But Push the Button and Too Lost in You are dope. And Overload. I loved Overload. Oh, yeah. There's um, plenty of yeah, good no, songs. Yeah, no, like there was definitely a moment where the sugar, like I was in the car because you're hearing all the stuff I did while I listened to music this week because I was in the <laughs> car driving to school and I put on the playlist and I was just like, I don't remember where I was. Like, I'll just click the last one of this uh, album and the sugar babes came on and I was like, wait, is this a new group? How would I like this better than the Spice Girls already? Because the Spice Girls, of course, has always been held up to me as like the pinnacle of British girl groups. I really like the Sugar Babes. I thought they were great. I will listen to this these albums again. But before we get into that, Lazi, who are the Sugar Babes? And what sets them apart in the British girl group scene in the 90s? Uh, the Sugar Babes are a, what's the best phrase? Uh, are a tagine of uh, various uh, <laughs> late 90s and early 2000s young female artists brought together Actually, by the same producer as All Saints as well. So the, the, they're actually, you know, which you can probably hear a little bit of similar infusion uh, in the music between the two. They were a rotating cast. So they had an initial album, which wasn't that successful. Um, then 
Siobhan left and Heidi joined and then they had two albums where I think they had quite a lot of success and that, that is definitely for where their best known songs and where their most successful things are um, they did a song with Sting which was sort of a cover of Shape of My Heart but also he wrote new things on it for them not quite sure why he did that maybe he was bored that was kind of a uh when he did um Desert well, he, he went solo and he did the what is it the soul cages is that what it is and then fields of gold was when he really broke through as a solo artist and then that album was another kind of like re-emergence i remember that I didn't I like it, it but I remember it. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Isn't that a Hansel line from... Um, I respect Sting. I don't listen to him, but well, I respect that he's still... Can I, can I tell you my favorite Sting solo song is Ellie Goulding's recent cover of Fields of Gold. It's great. Uh, Desert Rose is my favorite sing, Sting single song. But then well, she's got, great, you know, so... Ellie Goulding's good. Anyway, yes, sorry, sugar babes. Our inability to talk about the topic continues apace. I was surprised to hear Sting come on. I, Because I, I haven't listened with um, the Angels with Dirty Faces a whole lot. I really like Taller in More Ways, which is a later album. But I think after Red Dress, three, Red Dress is a great song. I think after three, they replaced, they rotated the lineup mm-hmm. again. So right. again, you're now in a uh, sugar babes of Theseus situation. It's still a good song, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that goes back goes back to like who do we who do we give a lot of the credit for? There, I don't think Sugar Babes ever had as an iconic a look as either either Spice Girls or All Saints. So All Saints had a look; they had a like a wardrobe and a, a clear look to mm-hmm. them. Spice Girls were all, obviously five completely different looks, but they all stood out and they're as you said Tess they were um you know driven from personality sugar babes uh, you couldn't I couldn't tell you what the personality of or name of any of them is at any given time you know when I when listening to you say that it makes me think of Blackpink and how Blackpink is doing both of the things you just said because those girls have distinct personas but they may as well not because the music they make is very much a a pastiche that sometimes highlights their personalities, but otherwise they're just damn good songs, mm. you know, performed by capable people with the best of the studio musician wizardry behind them. Who also dance. Right. But that's the thing. I mean, like, that's, I think maybe that's one of the things, one of the ways to talk about Blackpink is they're doing both of the things that, that we see from these different groups. I think your point about, like, the strength of songs like Push the Button, like uh, Freak Like Me, like Hole in the Head, like Two Lost in You. Two Lost in You is probably the oh best my God. part of, of Love, actually. It I is. Think. No, it is. Except, but I will tell you what number two is it's Dido here with me. Which yes. comes on as he's walking away I from forgot. doing the cue card we thing. Had a, we had a, uh, a oh conversation on whether that song was diegetic or not. <laughs> <laughs> because, because 
because when you go through something like that, well, he had the boombox. I mean, he did have the boombox. What are you gonna play? Like, no, I, I <laughs> played himself out. I think it. I think it's important to to realize that that song might actually be diegetic to what's happening in. That I, scene. I, I, lo- I just think if he was playing himself out, it would be a sad trombone, not a. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, that's what his character is. So he is a walking, talking, sad trombone. Who moves to America, reinvents himself, and gets fucking stuck in the zombie apocalypse. <laughs> it's not a good life for this dude. I have to say, one of the things that I really loved about Sugar Babes, just like, and I'm not great at like talking about like the ins and outs of music and why I like things and why I don't like things. But like, I think what really caught me about a lot of their songs was they focus a lot on melody and their melody is very like I'm trying to think of the word to describe it it's almost nursery rhyme-ish but like in a pop context if that makes sense like it's very much like that rhyming the technical term is sing-songy well I didn't want to say that because it makes it sound like um, well I know it sounds it sounds bad it sounds but, bad but, but it's what not, you're saying yeah it's it kind very of like much sing-songy is. but it's filtered through like a, a girl group pop sound and it's just so damn catchy, but like in a good way. Like I just, I really appreciate like just, it just sounded very different after listening to Spice Girls and All Saints to hear a group that kind of had a slightly different sound, but is clearly still part of that same genre and that same kind of pop movement. That was my like big musical contribution to, to Sugar Babes. <laughs> I think Push the Button is probably technically the best song on this list it's not my favorite as i said i, I really love uh, all hooked up by all saints but i think push the button is as a, a standalone piece of a song i think it's is probably the number one here they also do good bridges and i'm a sucker for a yeah. good bridge i love bridge, bridge work under the bridge however <laughs> not quite not. so much so lazi your favorite artist of these three favorite album I think saying best album is pushing it, to be honest, because I just don't think any of the albums really <laughs> are sustained long enough. I think All Saints are my favorite band of these three. I would say Sugar Babes just behind them and then Spice Girls third. I think that Sugar Babes highs are very high, but there's an awful lot of meh in there. I think Spice Girls are the most iconic and the most important but i think my favorite songs and i like six or seven of them a lot are from all saints from those their two albums sam who was your favorite of these three and which one was your favorite album if if applicable (laughs) so once again i the sugar babes is my favorite again the album taller in more ways is my favorite of theirs which again you know comes a little bit later and with some personnel changes. And then after that, I really don't... You can't go wrong with that first Spice Girls album. You just can't. There are a couple songs between two become one and like, who do you think you are? I mean, th- There's a big gap in quality, obviously, on the back half of that album. But it's still pretty listenable. It's certainly better than any of their other albums. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean... <laughs> All right, Lazi, you have a whole list of honorable mentions here. Because oh, no, in we true... didn't get you. Oh, get yeah. Yours. I always forget when I'm the Tessa, host. do you also like music? I do like music. I... What kind of... She likes Billy Joel, and I like 
music. <laughs> My favorite was, I think, clear from what I was saying is the Sugar Babes. I really liked Angels with Dirty Faces. It's the only one on this list that I've listened to multiple times because I just didn't have time to listen to all of it multiple times. But it was the one that I was like, yeah, I want to listen to this again. So I think that that's one that will become one of the albums that I listen to fairly regularly. Lazi, you have a list of honorable mentions on here because in true monkey fashion, as as a regular on monkey, you know that we have a very hard time limiting ourselves and we love homework and we love lists. So tell us some of your honorable mentions for British girl groups of the 90s. Right. Okay. So I will rattle through some of these. Uh, Atomic Kitten uh, and Whole Again is a very, very, very well-known song and was recently re-recorded. Um, about the England football team from the most recent <laughs> World Cup, about pretty much about Gareth Southgate, which is an astonishing thing to think of from the late 90s, early 2000s, that Gareth Southgate is having pop songs re, re, uh, reimagined about him. They also did a, a cover of um, The Tide is High by Blondie. It is uh, not as good as The Tide is High by Blondie because Blondie... Hard, hard to beat great. Blondie. I've never heard a cover of Blondie that was better than the original. I'm sorry. Mystique are an interesting one. I don't know if you checked out any of these guys. They're they're a lot. They're they're an all black British uh, Londoner sort of band, and they're they're a lot sort of heavier and and um, I'm trying to think of the right way to describe them. But they've got two or three really good songs, particularly Scandalous and One Night Stand, are are pretty well known here. And um, I think most I think they the lead singer for that has gone on to have a reasonably successful career doing like TV presenting and, and other things off the back of that as well. Bewitched, who are Irish, but... Um... Are they? I couldn't tell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, they don't feature their Irishness much at all. Um, I think Shame. one of them is a, is actually related to someone in Boyzone as well. So I think they, they came off of that uh, that staple. They're just very silly, but very... Very innocent and very fun. Eternal is the one I think I think is really interesting. I think they did they had two or three really good songs in the early nineties. They're a lot more on Vogue and TLC inspired. I would say. I think they've got a. I can't remember whether it's with Luther Vandross, but they've got a a song with him called "I Want to Be the Only One," which is which is a lot of good fun and nice good pop song. Early days, you've got Banana Rama from the eighties, who I mentioned purely because. Their name is Banana Rama, so anytime I get to say Banana Rama, I'm going to. I mean, the you gotta. I would have thought less of you if you hadn't. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I, I'm just gonna jump in real here, here real fast. In in the mid '80s, my dad came home with the CD player. Early adopter, not the earliest, but you know, fairly early. And he his first purchases were Buddy Holly's Greatest Hits and the first four Beatles albums. And and I didn't know this for a while, but one of the big deals about them being on CD is that they are the original lineups of the album. So we're talking, you know, Please Please Me with the Beatles, Hard, Day Night, Hard Day's Night, Beatles for Sale. And then the CDs he bought after that the Bengals' greatest hits, Boy Meets Girl, Bananarama greatest hits. <laughs> Bananarama is a group my dad likes. 
Your dad has very odd tastes, though. So, I like want to make it very clear that your dad will, in one moment, listen to yes. Banana Rama, and then in the next moment, listen to Lorena McKinnon. So, and then in the earlier, next moment, <laughs> earlier this week, one of our folks there on the Mumble Discord brought up their love of Steely Span and questioned whether or not they should be made fun of for listening to that. To which I responded, Steel Eye Span is also one of my dad's favorites. You should be made fun of for that. Steel Eye Span and Bananarama, you guys. That's my dad. Anyway, for those who didn't guess, it was me. <laughs> I was the one. <laughs> I was the trauma inside. to uh, Steel Eye Span and enjoyed them in my 90s. Uh, in my 90s. You are in, in no other discernible way like my dad. <laughs> Just no other way. Just that one really weird niche way. I don't know if that makes it better or worse, really. Does your average music listening person know the song Love in the First Degree or I Heard a Rumor? Like, I don't know. How niche Bananarama is that, Lazi? Uh, I think Bananarama are reasonably well known in the UK, but I would be okay. I would be surprised that anyone again like there's a, a very a very iconic name there that you're going to be aware well, of. Yeah, there was also a, a kids' cartoon in the 90, in the 80s and 90s called Banana Man about. Oh, I've man seen that. Who, That's a, I mean, wasn't that the same studio that did Danger Mouse? Yeah, I think so. This so the same animation style. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he eats a banana and becomes banana man i mean it's the same principle as sort of as popeye i guess anyway uh i'm gonna come back to this this band in a little bit but then there's two more two more i feel like they should be mentioned one is daphne and celeste who have a song called ugly as in u-g-l-y you ain't got no alibi you ugly and that song is featured in the film Bring It On. And then there's a band called Cleopatra who had a song called Cleopatra coming at you. Neither of those bands were very successful. Um, Daphne and Celeste got bottled off stage at a music festival. I think they were playing Reading. I think they were pretty good about it. Like they were kind of expecting it and then just you know, kept dodging bottles and singing anyway. And I think the, the crowd kind of ended up respecting them slightly for it. <laughs> That girl group's got moxie. <laughs> does that work when you do it? I think it does, Tessa. Yeah. That was good. Yeah. You need to get moxie. a little bit more J. Jonah in your voice moxie. next time, though. I need a cigar hanging out of my mouth. Did you? Sorry, were we moving on to saying, get me photos of Spider-Man? Get, bring, bring me, me Spider-Man! Spider-Man! <laughs> <laughs> J.K. Simmons <laughs> is J. Jonah Jameson. I don't, I don't know what to tell you. Like... So the existence of J.K. Simmons, who is J. Jonah Jameson, the existence of J.K. Simmons presupposes the real existence of Peter Parker. Now my question, is the real Peter Parker like one of the actors who has depicted him, much like J.K. Simmons is J. Jonah Jameson, or is Spider-Man somebody else? And you come to us in the middle of existential crisis number four of the <laughs> British girl I'm just saying, band. I, I, is Andrew up. Garfield actually Spider-Man? Which is not a thing I thought I'd ever say. Although if you've seen him do videos uh, on the red carpet recently where he's- I, That's why I'm asking. You would think I'm he was asking. Peter Parker for sure. He's <laughs> yeah. awkward enough. For... Oh my God, but he has games somehow. 
That is, is Peter working Parker. for him. Awkward, but like, has games. I somehow. don't know anything about her. I know she's a British personality. So I mean, like, is this a good? Is this good? She she is. She was actually on the Taskmaster New Year's treat. And if you haven't seen Taskmaster, you really should because and we have not. Uh, I think you can see them all on like YouTube anyway. But um, she was on the New Year's tree, and I'd never heard of her before that. But then I checked out some of her. It's like fried chicken dates where she gets a celebrity. Hot wings in cars with comedians or something. Yeah, but in in a in a weird London fried chicken shop, basically. But she has <laughs> she has remarkable moxie uh, to. Uh... Oh, good! I want those two kids to be happy. <laughs> I have never felt that more strongly than I did after watching no, that video. No, actually, you do feel that strongly about another couple, one of which has played Spider-Man and the other one has played MJ, Tom Holland and Zendaya. Tom Holland and Zendaya. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You care that much I about them care as about a couple. That. I, I just hope he can hang in there. <laughs> Whatever he needs to do, I hope he does it. 100% wife guy. That's anyway. What, I, I mean... If you oh. look up the word wife guy in the dictionary, why do you have a dictionary? The internet exists. <laughs> but it is Tom Holland's picture. And the picture of Tom Holland is the picture of him performing. <laughs> well, on that note, because we what? can't go any any further than that. Uh, what are what are our final thoughts about <laughs> girl groups, British girl groups? What has been the legacy of them on British music, Lassie, or just music in general? I think they the nineties British girl groups really added it a different flavor. I don't think they really existed before, and I think they set up space for uh, a lot of the reality TV driven bands that we had after that. So. What you had in the 90s were manufactured bands, but the ones that sort of seemingly sprung fully formed from, I don't know, Simon Fuller's forehead um, into the into the pop charts. And what you had after that was someone going, hang on, we can build a whole TV series about building these things. And then you so you had pop stars, you had pop stars, rivals, you had uh, pop idol, you had a bunch of things that came on after that. And that led to pretty much the domination of the British pop charts for the next decade came from reality TV stars. So um, some of them might not be as well known to you, but bands like Hearsay, bands like obviously Girls Aloud, although Girls Aloud interestingly lost their um, final um, to a, to the boy band that got pushed because because they were... they. What's the other Simon? Who's the Simon who's made it over to your shores for pop? Cowell. Cowell, right? Simon yeah. Cowell. Yeah. So Simon Cowell was very much pushing the boy band from that show, whose name I've completely forgotten, uh, on the principle that he thought that, you know, that's what was going to sell more to the young, to the teenage girls was the boy band. Um, and Girls Aloud massively blow them out. And you've off the back of Girls Aloud, you've had a lot of other success. You've had Little Mix. You've obviously got had One Direction subsequent to that as well. But you, you had a decade reality tv driven pop bands that all came off of the back of the manufactured pop bands of the 90s and there was no bigger band in the 90s for for a manufactured pop band than the spice girls i have two things which is actually three things <laughs> at this point i think what? you just have three things Wait, and you're just like subtracting <laughs> well, I, to I, two so you no, can say two things i've got four well things. 
you didn't let me talk first. So it was definitely three things by the time you got to me. But if I had gone first, it would have evolved into three things. Now, the trick is, can I remember them all? I think so. Uh, the, the first thing is I don't know if Tessa's like trying to not pull her hair out, but I've really enjoyed this episode. And it's not just because Lazzie and I digress, because I do that with other Mumble regulars, too. That's not it. I mean, you haven't started singing, which is what happens with Matt usually. See, that's what I'm saying. (laughs) But the thing about it is, I've really enjoyed this episode because you're talking about the music. It is... I mean, when you're talking about films or TV shows, it's a very specific prompt, you know, that most of us know how to stay on pretty well. I can wander off of any prompt, doesn't matter, but when it comes to music, it's a much more nebulous thing that doesn't invite itself to to go on tangents. And I think that's I think that ends up actually being a barrier for many people because it can be such a a free-flowing, pun intended, riff-heavy thing that if you don't know a lot, it can be very intimidating. You know, uh, how, how many things outside of these, these girl groups that we've talked about, and they're all genuine connections as wacky as they are sometimes. And this is where we get to point two, which is really still part of point one, you see, is that... <laughs> one A. Right. That's why it's actually three things, though, because this is the second thing, but it comes from the first thing. These kinds of conversations, as I said, there are barriers to them. And one of the other barriers, and the big barrier, as I said, is is the fear that you don't know enough, which really is correlative to the people who do think they know enough, who like to make your life difficult and make you think that you're uncool and you don't matter. And it's really not just not knowing enough it's knowing the wrong things you know so if you know a lot about pop girl groups it's as if you know nothing or frankly less than nothing and you are definitely not cool and now we're definitely into taylor swift indie records are much cooler than mine territory which is something that i definitely felt growing up and even into adulthood which is why i don't have the spice album anymore so i think not only did I really like this episode because it really is the antithesis of that. It is being able to talk about the things. It is the Lasper principle in action. We don't hate joy. We're not going to rag on people for liking Steely Span. I don't think you're a lesser <laughs> person because you listen to Steely Span. I will make fun of you for it, but you know that that's you know in my heart what I think. And 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 I I think that's okay. I think I think that it's good and I hope in 2023 those of us who live in a queer world are getting better at better at realizing that we don't want to replicate the things that happen in the straight world, the hating on people for listening to and liking what they like. And I think this episode was a was the epitome of that in many ways. And so the third thing is something completely different. Lazi yeah. brought up Girls Aloud. So I want to throw the Saturdays in as as yeah. somebody I really liked. They have much less of a catalog than Girls Aloud or the Sugar Babes. But 
the song If This Is Love is the song I will take over all of the songs we've talked about today. If you plugged my iPod in, charged it up, it would be the song that has the most listens of any British girl group. It was interesting. I was talking to somebody recently and she was talking about how she genuinely liked the Spice Girls, you know, back when they were coming out and she listened to them, but she felt like she had to hide that because I mean, and I've experienced this too. I think a lot of, a lot of women who listen to music have experienced this, but this idea that like you, if you like something that all the other girls like that, you're not cool like in order to be a cool girl, you have to listen to like the stuff that the boys like and like you're again, the indie music that's much cooler than mine. And she talked about how like she also like went through a phase where she resisted liking the Spice Girls, where she was like, no, they're like really cheesy or really horrible or whatever, because she was trying to convince herself that she was cool. And there was like a little bit of like self-loathing going on there. But then she's like, but then in the in the 2010s, it became it, it was the loophole. It was, I listened to them ironically, right? Like, and that was like the thing that you did to pretend that you didn't actually like them because they weren't cool, but you listened to them ironically. But she's like, now it's just, it's just about joy. It's this idea that I can just listen to them. And I, you know, I don't have to incorporate sort of that self-loathing of my own gender into my music tastes. And so I, I think that that's a really interesting thing that like these types of groups often have sort of that history of like they're associated with joy but we can't like joy right because that's not cool that's cringe or whatever yeah that's why i say there are no guilty pleasures they're just things that just you things like that you like um and so yeah i think that this episode has been a really good exercise in in talking about that one of the reasons why i say the word joy as much as i do is that i always felt that it wasn't something that we should seek it was too gauche or too I don't know, naive to pursue joy. We pursue happiness. We don't pursue joy. So I was like, actually, at some point, God knows when, but at some point I decided, actually, what I want in my life is more joy. So I'm going to talk about that. And I'm going to hope that me talking about it means that other people talk about it as well. And that, everyone, is the Lawsbury Principle. (laughs) So I'm so glad that we got to do this. I think we talked about everything, a little bit of everything. So, you know, something in here for everyone. We are going to post both the link to our Apple Music playlist um, that features many of the songs we've talked about and also Lazi's link to his YouTube playlist that also, I think, I'm not sure if they're, if they're exactly the same or if there's some differences I, I, mine or not. Doesn't have, I think you guys have got full albums on there. I've just I've just cut it down to... to okay. It's, it's the one Sam made, so it has full albums so it has on the it. Full because... album on it. Okay, so the longer one is the Apple Music playlist one. The one that's a little bit more curated is the and, YouTube. And Spotify can pick a lane with access or hi-fi music, and maybe we'll start posting playlists from them. I don't know. We will post that that list in our notes, so look for that if you want to listen to any of the groups, whether you're experiencing them for the first time or you're remembering something nostalgic from your youth. Thank you so much for coming on and talking about Joy, Lassie. We always love having you on, and you're going to come back in a couple months for an actual Lassie Assigns episode. I am, I'm very yes. excited about. I'm going to bully you 
after trying for two years into reading the House of X and Powers of Ten. <laughs> it's, it's happening. We're, we're going to be doing more X-Men. Continuing our X-Men discussion. Not All just right. X-Men, though. X-Men, Utopias, and some Russian vampires, I think. Are one of the I mean, I, think that's I the know perfect. the Russian vampires. I've seen and read them. I think that's the perfect combination. I mean, Utopias, Russian vampires. What else do you want? Girl pop music? <laughs> We've already done that. We've got that I know, already. But, but you asked, what else do I, I want? See. I want to be very clear about that. All right. Next time is our very first Mombul 2023 reading challenge episode. So as we've discussed several times the last couple of episodes, we are currently conducting our Mombul 2023 reading challenge. You can find that on Storygraph. But we are trying once a month to actually have different people participating in the challenge to come on and talk about what they read for that month. And for our first ever episode, our producer, Ryan, is coming on to talk about the books we've read for the January prompt, which was books we've been meaning to read forever. So we're very excited to have a book conversation on the podcast again, or at least I'm very excited. I don't know how Sam feels about it, but I'm excited about it. Um, so tune in next week and and please message us either on our Discord or on Twitter. Tell us what you've been reading for this prompt if you are participating in the challenge. Where can people find us? Lazzie, where can people find you online and in their headphones? Question mark? Question mark. Yeah. So you can find me personally online at Mean Englishman. You can find soon coming at Asimovcast a intention to take short bursts of joy and inspiration in the works of Isaac Asimov. So I should have the first episode of that coming out soon. Those should hopefully be 10, 15 minute episodes. The first one will be covering two short stories. One is called A Boy's Best Friend and the second is called Sally. So I would love to hear from anyone. So please follow me at Asimovcast and please listen to that when it comes out in a couple of weeks. I'm very excited. Sam, where can people find you online? You can find me on Twitter at Sam underscore Morris nine. And you can find me on Storygraph and Letterboxd at Melody Valentine. By the way, you can also find much more, not just from me, but from Tessa and our producer, Ryan, on moviejohn.com. That's moviejawn.com. We often joke on this podcast trying to think about what will have happened by the time we released the episode recording. we So we, we joke about time travel quite a lot. So by the time this episode is released on moviejot.com, you'll be able to read the first in my brand new series, DeLoreans and Phone Booths, A Cinematic Guide to Time Travel. You can find me on Twitter, Storygraph, and Letterboxd at The Buy Paradox. You can also find me on my aforementioned podcast, Maniog's Book Club, where my friend Nigel and I are reading through all of Terry Pratchett's Discworld novels. You can find that on Twitter at Nanny's Book Club and on Instagram at Nanny Ogg's Book Club. We'd like to know your thoughts on 90s British girl groups or what you'd like for us to talk about on future episodes. You can find us on Twitter at Monkey Backlog. Join our Discord community at the link in our show notes. You can also email us at monkeyoffmybacklog at gmail.com. Please take a moment to rate or review our show wherever you listen to podcasts. Get that monkey off your back.